Heavy Cardboard, Episode 61, Terraforming Mars. Coming to you from Olympus Mons. Well, it's cold enough here anyway in Denver, Colorado to feel like it anyway. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So, Happy New Year, y'all. Yeah. We made it. Yay, 2016's in the books. Thank God. Put to bed. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Me either. And we've been meaning to do this for a while, but we wanted to give a huge shout out to our listeners in Afghanistan. I know we have some. We don't know if they're serving or if they live there or what's going on, but just thank you guys for for listening to us and shoot us an email so we can... Find out who yeah. you are. And, and yeah. not just to Afghanistan, but around the world. Like right. the, the, the heavy cardboard herd around the world map that we have... We have we have folks around the world, which is still somewhat staggering yes. and, and surprising to us, which it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, um, interact with us. We love hearing from y'all. Yeah, so, so reach out, say something, say hi. And uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty approachable folk. Absolutely. I think. So final inspect on the basement is happening either the day this releases or on Friday. Finally. Thank God. We, 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 we are almost there. Yes. I, so excited to move in down there, get the the table set up, get the games moved down there, the whole nine yards. And I'm sure Matt and Dana are excited to actually have, you know, more space than a little spare bedroom yes. type thing. So, yeah, it's it really exciting. And promise once all that's done and everything, we will definitely periscope, send pictures, oh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and do all that thing. Absolutely. We're just where we have been living in piles of games and piles of stuff for what, like six months now? No, it's been four months. And and don't get me wrong. This is first world problems. I get that. Oh, you have too many. Get, no, we're not saying it no, like that. It's not. just the whole house has been cluttered yes. because the stuff that we did store down in the basement, we haven't been able to put down there. So there's just piles of crap. Just stuff that you have to keep, like Christmas decorations, right? We finally have a space to put that in stuff that isn't just boxes of stuff. So, yeah, we're really excited to have that done. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we love the carpet that they use so much on the stairs that we ordered more of it and we're going to have rugs made <laughs> because I mean it's cheap and they're really nice. Yeah, we we I mean a 17 by 12 foot rug, do you know how expensive that would be whereas or uh, just getting carpet and have it edged and all that, yeah. having that done total for all three huge area rugs. It's like less than 500 bucks, which is less than that 117 by 12 foot rug <laughs> would be. So, yeah. Really, just really excited about it. We're hoping that this sat- coming Saturday's game day will be the last one on the main level. Yay! So endless game day is still going strong. Sixty-five days and counting. We'll link in the show notes if anybody wants to follow along. And and honestly, the only reason I'm I'm even I I don't want know if you want to call it promoting it or anything like that, but just kind of sharing it is trying to inspire folks to. Get away from the TV and spend more time gaming. We all complain, oh, we never have enough time to game, this and that, whatever. How much time are we, and and by we, I mean me and y'all listening, spend in front of the TV just vegging out, whereas you could spend that time gaming. So, hey, make better use of your time. And I have decided to do that, and therefore, I'm 
65 days and counting and loving it, having a blast. Plus, it helps y'all because we can talk about more games this way, too. I'm toying with the idea of a endless game day for 2017, but I haven't fully committed to it yet, so we will see what happens. Because you've played every day so far I this have. year. I have so. ever played every day so far, and it got me to thinking, hmm. We're going to be at the Arizona Game Fair that's being held January 21st and 22nd, so come see us. Yeah, we're, we're actually flying down there on the 20th, and there's going to be like an informal... Uh, appetizer dinner have some drinks sit around and just hang out type thing uh, the night before if you go to i believe it's arizonagamefair.com you'll be able to find all the info as well as arizona game fair on twitter there's a facebook page yada 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 so it's in two weeks and i know some of our listeners are going to be there Mm -hmm. so looking forward to actually being able to meet y'all and and sit around and play some games yeah that sounds great to me it's gonna be fun We want to thank the great folks over at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of the show. Fantastic folks, a great reputation, along with an ever-growing, amazing inventory of imported and hard-to-find games. Well, you can see why we're proud to be partnered with Game Surplus. Their tagline is home of great games at great prices, so check them out at gamesurplus.com. And when you do, remember to tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. To tie into the review of Terraforming Mars, we have for y'all Edward's interview with the head of Stronghold Games, Stephen Bonacore. They published a plethora Hefe. of medium and medium heavy games going back to Panamax, Kanban, Great Western Trail, and now Terraforming Mars, not to mention dozens of other titles. So sit back and enjoy hearing about the publishing side of the hobby. Back at Spiel 2016 on Sunday, the final day, and I'm amazed that you and I both have voices, Stephen. So I'm with Stephen Bonacore of Stronghold Games. Your, your voice sounds more raspy than my voice. More, usually on, on Sunday, I'm like this at the Spiel. <laughs> really, really bad, but I, I don't know. I think I took it easy. I didn't party as hard this time because I was so busy all the time and too tired to party. Seriously, I appreciate you taking time because nah, no every time I, I come by the booth, it's jam-packed. It's, you're always in meetings or running to the next meeting or whatever. It's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, thank God I have great, you know, the great Knights of the Stronghold, my demo team here, working hard. The booth has been packed the whole time. It's Sunday, so this is uh, slightly less than it's been, but uh, great, great team here. And yeah, doing amazing business, both, you know, the B2B stuff for the, for the next season, but just the consumer sales that we've had here, Terraforming Mars, sold out. Uh, Great Western Trail sold out. We were able to get some more back in, thankfully. Uh, we sold out of Fabled Fruit and then sold out again when we got more copies. We sold out of the Dragon and Flag and couldn't get more of those. So it's um, it's been a really good show. So moral of the story, if you want any of the hotness, do it early. You got, I mean, I always tell people, look, I would love to continue to sell to you guys, but yeah, you have to, by definition, at a show, supply is limited. It has to be. We don't... The warehouse is not sitting next door. It's somewhere between 6,000 miles, or in the case for some of the stuff that we print locally, it's a, a, a one-day drive, so to speak, from in a truck, so we can get some on. When we sell out on Thursday or we want to reorder, we can get some more for Saturday, So, which we did, but not everything. All right, so one of the things that a lot of people might not know about Spiel is this isn't just a, hey, let's go buy games. From the publisher standpoint, yep. This is where you're meeting with a whole lot of designers, possibly signing future designs. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit that goes into that process. I should show you what my my schedule looked like in the meeting, the meeting portion of the schedule. I literally book 
Then I started pretty late this year too, but I literally have a meeting every half hour, starting with the beginning of the show to the end of the show every day, including Wednesday. I take a few less on Wednesday because we're trying to set up, but it, it, it's, it's an absolutely insane schedule. And we're now squeezing a 15 minute conversation in where, where I didn't have a slot for you. So I said, you know what? I'll let Paul take half of this meeting and I'll come out and I'll talk to Edward. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, this is all about, I do more business to business stuff here than any place else. Meet with new designers, meet with very known designers, and, uh, and, and very importantly, meet with other publishers. And we already have a published game, and then we're gonna look at that to bring to the North American market and the rest of the world. A lot of them are very small, so they don't have worldwide distribution as I do. So we get those games, we put the Stronghold, after we play it, we like it, Stronghold logo, make sure the English is good and get it out to the rest of the world. So that's a big, big, big part of what I do here. And that's essentially all I do here. And I've got my great staff doing all the sales and the demoing and that kind of stuff for me. And I, I think that's interesting, because like I said, a lot of people don't realize that this is, this is the biggest business time of the year for a lot of publishers. Yeah, I, without a doubt it is, certainly for me. And I would say that um, all the Germans as well, you know, certainly, and quite a few of everybody else does this too. Now, no, not everybody does the same kind of business that I do, the co-publishing, I mean, but that's a significant portion. So I'm gonna be doing a lot of that here and it's, uh, it's a very good time to do it because everybody is here that I wanna work with, essentially. So what's next? So what do you have uh, next year already lined up? Like this is, I know what's coming for 17 or is that still somewhat in flux? Well, this, it's, it's absolutely gonna be. Um, there are publishers out there that like, you know, they've, they've already planned through 2018 or 19. <laughs> and I look at that like, I don't know what I'm having for lunch yet. And I don't know what I'm gonna do in 2019. Um, I certainly know, uh, and, and this is something that uh, has, has changed in recent years because of my, my partnerships, right? They are so strong now, strategic partnership with 2F Spieler right across the hall here, Dr. Green and company, and Edgar Spieler, right? We do all of both of their games. So I know a little bit about the games. I know a lot of it, I guess, about both of the, of the games that I'll be doing with both of those companies. So there's some games right there. But quite a bit of stuff is the stuff that I've not done uh, work with, or I don't do all of the games of a given publisher. So that's what a lot of those other meetings are. I'm gonna be meeting with them and grabbing those games, testing them out, and I will decide, more or less, by the end of the year, end of November even, what the entire schedule is for next year. I'll I'll be, I will have decided on 80% of the schedule by the end of the year. Okay, now you said I will test them, but I'm sure you yeah. have a team that goes into all this, but are you, do you sit in on that? Cause you're a gamer, I mean, um, let's face it, I'm you're not biggest, just. I'm the biggest dark in the world, absolutely right. a gamer. Um, yeah, what, what happens is, and the, the process is really strict, and it's, it's one of these things that happens exactly the same way every year. I bring home four suitcases worth of games, essentially. I'm actually kind of surprised it's not a pallet. Well, there, no, no, I mean, you can't you know, pallet. I could ship a pallet, I guess. Maybe I even should because I don't, I don't go overweight in my bags then. It might, <laughs> might be the same, the same price with the extra bags and going overweight. And, um, but um, now we, we, we bring them home and we're, talk, we're talking, you know, a hundred different games, essentially, that you're gonna be fit. I mean, a lot, a lot of games. Some obviously very small, some big box games, prototypes. Um, we bring them all back. I sort them out. Uh, Paul is my lead developer, Paul NKO. He's over there taking the meeting right now. Um, 
we sort them all out and we kind of say, okay, well, who should like, take a look at this? And I send it to various people that I, that, you know, their friends and associates, uh, and they learn them, they test them a little bit, and then we all get together and we play all of the, the short lists, right? So even that group would even be able to say, Stephen, you just don't want this, and I'll listen to why, and 95% of the time say, agree. If I, if I say, well, I still want to kind of play that one anyway, let me see it, we'll do it. But we'll weed through that initial cut, and then we get together and play everything again that we, that we kind of think is good, and then it culminates in this convention in New Jersey called Metatopia. And that's a designer publisher convention run by Double Exposure, the guys who run Envoy, and we show it to some select people, actual gamers, alpha gamers that are there, and they give us more feedback. By the end of that, I'm at the 90% mark of what I'm gonna select from this year's crop. Well, then there's the negotiation with you know, licensing fees and stuff like that. So that's, that's the process. Very strict, happens the same way every year. Interesting, I appreciate that. You're very welcome. So, for those that you don't sell out, God forbid there is anything that you actually have to bring home, what's that process like? Because in a perfect world, you sell out of everything, you have your four suitcases of games, <laughs> and that's it, I'm home, that's it, no worries. Packing up here is, uh, is well, I, you know, I have a local logistics company which is great, and they set up this booth. So, so this is my best booth I have at any show. You say like, why can't you do this in the US? Because I don't have a company like the one that's here that sets this thing up for me. Uh, so um, you know everything is everything looks really nice. Uh, bookcases for games. I have a meeting area, storage area. They take and break down all that. As far as the games are concerned, we using using brute force with the knights and me. We uh, stack the pallets up, we wrap them, and then Ludo Pact, which is the logistics arm of Ludo Pact, Act, they right. take and bring it back to their warehouse, and then I organize containers of the games that are still there, plus this stuff and we get them back to the US. I don't maintain any game presence, uh, any stock in Germany really after the end of the show. It all goes back to uh, because US. Because even though it's worldwide distribution, you're focused on the US market, right? It's because my sales agent, which is PSI, I've talked about them on my podcast a lot, great bunch of guys and gals, they, um, they are the middleman between me and the distributor. There's extra layer there, they get a cut. But they are able to sell. They always. they always do. <laughs> They're able to sell not only across North America, but then they sell across the world. So that's an exclusive agreement I have with them, that they sell my games, except that shows, of course. They sell my games to distributors across the world. So they'll, it'll, they'll, the games will come back into Europe, but they'll come back via PSI. I'll do a little pre-sales in Europe, but after that, everything comes out of, uh, out of the uh, warehouse in, uh, in Georgia. All right, two last things. Yes. One. Impressive energy still on Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. It's almost like you've done this before. Yeah, maybe once or twice. I'm learning. You're, you're uh, doing, you're, <laughs> you're as good as me. Don't, don't even start. Go ahead. And the second thing is, all right, I realize you you never leave the booth, essentially. You are... I'm leaving right after this. I'm leaving. Oh, are you? Okay. Yes. Paul, so, Paul will be here. Okay, but it's meetings, meetings, meetings. Yes. So you, you don't get a chance to I'm leaving to for release. a meeting. I'm not leaving right. to go play a game. Right, that's my point. <laughs> so is there anything that isn't stronghold that you're excited to check out, even if it's not here, is there any specific designer or game that isn't you that you're you're stoked to check out, be it after the after the fact? I was so well, I was just so stoked to meet Alexander Fister for the first time. You're telling me the I interviewed is, him yesterday. He's just he's so cool. He is so, so happy nice. and just so engaging. Yeah, and, he yeah, really he awesome. really is. So and, he, and here's the funny thing. Uh, Eggerspieler came over and says, 
Alexander Fister wants to meet you. I'm like, he wants to meet me? I want to meet him. He goes, he's right over there signing a Pegasus. So after he's done, he wants to come over. I'm like, interrupt me. Get me out of the meeting. I want to meet him. So we hugged it out. He came over. We hugged it out. And uh, he is so on fire with his games right now. I mean, Great Western Trail is still the one that I, we just brought out. We immediately put that, we put that right into the Great Designer Series after he won his second Kenneth Spielder Jar. It's a game that you are going to love. You've played it yet? or I, ha yet? I haven't had yeah, time, time, but I'm excited it. when yeah. I get home. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's brilliant. Uh, he is on fire. I can't wait to work again with him, which I'm sure we will. We have a relationship now. Edgar Spieler continues to have one, so that's, that's the one, like, coolest. That's the coolest thing that came, you know, that came out of uh, this show for me, meeting him. As far as any other game, I, you know, I can't really say, like, there's another game out there that I really like. Fair I mean, enough, no, fair only, enough. Only because, you know, I, I, I'm trying to buzz my stuff, and I'm not like, oh, well, you know, Oceanus, the, the a yellow game's got great buzz. I've seen it. It looks great. Oceanus, is that it? Oceania? Uh, uh, Oceanus, Ocean I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll mention them because I saw it, and it looks really good, <laughs> and I love Stefan. He's a good friend of mine. Fair enough. All right, look, I know you got to run. I yeah. appreciate you taking the time. No problem, man. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you at BGGCon. I can't wait. All right. Take thanks care, a lot, Stephen. All right. Thanks to Stephen for taking the time out of a jam-packed spiel to chat. I hope that our listeners enjoy hearing about the behind-the-scenes stuff as much as I do. There definitely is one thing that Stephen and I have in common, and that he is constantly working to build his company, build his brand, much like how I am with the show. The mantra to always be hustling kind of fits in that respect, so I can appreciate why he's so busy at Spiel. This episode is brought to you by BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a beautiful, hand-built, custom board game table that is sure to become the centerpiece of your game room, go check them out over at BoardGameTables.com and mention Heavy Cardboard when you do. All right, let's start digging into Terraforming Mars. All right, Terraforming Mars, published in 2016, designed by Jacob Fritz Elias. Artist is his brother, Isaac Fritz Elias, published by the aforementioned Stronghold Games. It plays one to five players, and it claims it plays in 90 to 120 minutes. As far as the availability and cost, thankfully, it's now unavailable. <laughs> you know, so we can review it. You know, am I right here? <laughs> Seriously, though, it's getting reprinted soon, and according to Steven over at Stronghold Games, this is the biggest printing in the history of the company, so it's fixing to be widely available within the next handful of weeks. All right, so let's <clears throat> tell everybody about the game. What's going on in it? The year is 2447, and the world government has decided that we must colonize Mars. In order to do so, you and the corporation that you represent must travel to Mars and attempt to terraform it. You do this by building cities, planting trees, Lots of trees. Yes. Creating oceans and by doing projects that it, such as shooting an asteroid onto the planet to drum up resources or even sending microbes down to attempt to grow with the end result of making Mars hospitable to human life. The game's played over a various number of rounds or generations until the three endgame conditions are all met. Oxygen levels raised to a level that'll support life, which is 14%. Nine oceans are formed, and the temperature of Mars is to an acceptable level of 8 degrees Celsius. I wish it was that warm here. <laughs> of the, once those three conditions are met, 
That generation's complete. Final scoring takes place. Those conditions are met by players playing cards from their hands, taking basic actions called standard projects, or by taking special actions that some of the cards allow for the players to, who played them. The game begins by dealing a possible starting hand of 10 cards to each player, as well as selecting the corporation that you wish to represent from a couple of different randomly drawn corporation cards. Each company will give each player an asymmetric start, as well as an advantage that is present throughout the game. Maybe some cards are cheaper to play, possibly mining resources are worth more to only you. You get the picture. As I said, a possible starting hand of 10 cards. Players must pay to keep any card that they acquire at the beginning of the game and in every subsequent generation. After this, a normal round begins, going around and around the table, with each player taking one or two actions per turn until every player passes. At that point, production happens, generation ends. At the beginning of the next generation, and each subsequent one, four cards are dealt to each player. The base game rules have players select which cards to keep from the four that they're dealt. The official variant, which is what we play with and what we're going to be speaking about in the review, is the draft from the four cards that each player is dealt. Each player selects one of the cards to hold, pass around, normal drafting style, be it left or right, depending on even or odd generations, and then choosing which of those to actually purchase. As I said, after all three terraforming conditions are met, the game ends. Scores are tallied, and the player with the most points wins. All right, as far as plays and player counts that we've experienced, I have eight games under my belt, and that encompasses everything from two to five players. How about you? I have seven, but all player counts except solo as well. Okay, cool. And now, as far as scalability, you want to speak to that? I think I felt it scaled very well from two all the way up to the maximum player count. I would say I, I would agree with you and disagree with you. Okay. I would say it plays great two to five doesn't scale worth a damn. Really? It well, doesn't, it doesn't scale. scale. Yeah, it plays. Because nothing changes about the game. Yeah, that's a valid point. That's a valid point. Okay, fine. It plays well, all players. I, that I totally agree with, yes. But I think there is there is a scaling piece for the solo game, though, I think. But you start earlier or later. I, I don't know. But Fair I know there point. is something. And, and forgive us. Hey, I'm sure Travis over at Low Player Count will handle the solo aspect of the game. So if you want to hear about that in depth, go Go, go harass him. Yes. No, just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, if you do want to hear about the solo game, I'm sure Travis over at Low Player Count will touch on this at some point if he hasn't already. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the components. You want to start? They're not the best. The cards are very thin. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag, I yeah. would say. Yeah. The cards... They're a little thin, but I feel like they're they're standard. I, I, I don't have any issue with the actual thickness or the 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 core, you know, being ivory core or whatever it is that they are. The problem I have is the borders. Yeah, the fact that they're black bordered on the back, which is always a bad thing because of the fact that because you're shuffling these cards, they're constantly being handled. They're going to get worn out and everything. So... That's a lot of cards to have to sleeve. Yeah. So a black border might not have been the best choice in that respect. It shows wear very bad on the back of the cards. Yep. The player cubes are translucent uh, plastic. I think they look good. Yeah. They're fine. They're easily discernible between players. Mm -hmm. No, no, no qualms whatsoever with that. I think that was a that was a fine choice. However, 
The resource cubes, they're plastic coated in a metallic finish paint to represent the one, five, and 10 resources. The issue here is we now have less than a dozen games with our copy of the game between friends playing it, even though we're not playing it and whatnot. You're talking roughly 10 to a dozen games and they're already chipping and they're fading yes. already, which it just, I'm really disappointed in the quality of the resources. They, they impart a veneer of quality. When you first see them, you're like, wow, those look cool. Mm-hmm. But the end result makes it feel that it's just, it cheapens the feel and the appearance of the production. And that that doesn't bode well for just the way, the presentation of the game at all. The player boards, I also have an issue with. They're very thin. Yeah, they're thin cardstock is all they are. They're not even cardboard. They're cardstock. Yeah, and it's so hard to keep it steady and unmoved because if you bump it, all your stuff goes flying and you don't know if you weren't paying, you know, like photographic memory attention to it before you hit it. You have no idea if you had 10 titanium or was that 10 heat? I can't remember, you know, and that's that's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Plus, there's a glossy finish, which reflects light if you actually have a well-lit game room. So it makes it a little glary. Um, It just the fact that it's cardstock. It just again, this is the second thing that cheapens the feel of the game. It feels like the publisher cut corners in a way to save money, even though this is a standard cost, I, I want to say it's about $65, $70 MSRP game, that I think better choices could have been made in this respect. It could have been a, a, a thick cardboard punch board. Mm-hmm. That would have, because the corners of the player boards are all going to get dinged really easily if you if you bump it, if you, uh, not to mention the actual the fact that the, the resources and the markers that you put on them are just on top of this glossy finish, mm-hmm. which makes them move even easier yeah. and slide around. Just too easy to disrupt as well. So not not really a, not really a big fan of that. Now, obviously, I would have preferred player boards that are similar to those that are in Scythe. They're double player boards with a cutout space for each marker, so it actually sets recessed in the player board to me my initial thought was why didn't they go this route Mm -hmm. you know um however i now know why these aren't the industry standard i actually reached out to jamie stegmeyer and i asked him about the boards inside and to find out hey why isn't this the industry standard and here's what he said he said, for, quote, from what I've seen, dual layered player mats cost about three to four times more than regular player mats. Part of it is the additional materials cost. You're printing two full player mats instead of just one because you got the, the full one underneath and the, and the one above it. The other part is labor, which is twofold. First, someone has to punch the top layer, removing all of the chits. Second, someone has to glue the top to the bottom layer. Those might seem quick things to do, but compared to just running a sheet of paper through a printer and applying it to a piece of cardboard, it adds significant labor costs. Also, from the graphic design perspective, it's kind of a nightmare as the graphic designer needs to create three different layers for each mat. So I thought it was important to research this prior to belaboring the point, and I'm glad I did, is to be honest with you, I would have been completely wrong on the added cost, and I I, I don't want to speak unintelligently to something that I didn't know about. 
So while the cardstock is, in my opinion, an unacceptable choice for the player boards, I also understand why it wasn't one of those dual layered player mats, but still give us something a bit more substantial that isn't going to be easily dinged, you know, or bent. The insert, essentially worthless. Just toss it and put everything in plastic bags. Yep. Outside of the above, I think the rest of the components are really, really solid. Yeah. The cardboard tiles and the actual board, they're chunky mm -hmm. and solid yeah. and I think really well done in that respect. Those did not, those don't feel like they were had corners cut. Totally agree. The player aid, it's broken up onto four different playing cards, the same side as the, the huge stack of cards that are in the game. And the game comes with two sets, which is fine for a four player game or less. Ideally, there would have been three sets though, because the fifth player on a normal, typical game table or dining room table or wherever you're going to be playing it on, normally in a five player game, you're gonna have two on one side, two on the other side. So you can share one of those sets. Mm -hmm. So you have two sets. However, that fifth player usually is gonna sit on the end of the table. Well, they don't get a player aid, sorry for you. Yeah. So I feel like a third set would have been a smart, you know, a little bit of foresight gone into that to be able to include that in the game. Kind of nitpicking a little there, but I figure I would at least bring it up. Mm -hmm. That said, it does do, the, the player aid itself does do a great job of laying out the things that people are going to need to know during the game. So well done on the player mm -hmm. aid. Yeah, how, how big is the box? It's about the size of like Rococo, right? Yeah, it's Rococo, Panamax size. Uh, it's 11.8 inches square with just under three inches thick. Uh, so for you folks on the metric system, 30 centimeters square by seven centimeters thick. So, and it has plenty of room in the box. It doesn't feel like you're packing a whole mm -hmm. bunch of air. Um, it feels like an appropriate size, size for the actual game yeah. itself. Once everything is bagged and sorted and everything, you can close the, close the box easily. That's not a problem at all. All right, graphic design. I think they did a really, really good job with this. I do too. It's very clear. It's very easy to understand. Excellent job of using the brown production backgrounds to differentiate between the resources and the resource generation. I think they did a perfect job on that. Mm -hmm. I could not, hey, what is that? Is that resource? No, see the, the brown background. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's it's production because the player boards right. also show that same thing. Mm -hmm. So really well yep. done on that. Mm -hmm. Everything else on the player boards and the main game board, very clear. All the actions on the cards, which is, let's face it, the vast majority of this game, they're clear both in the graphic design itself, but also it's written out. So really, it's pretty clear. There, there's just not a whole lot of ambiguity there. Um, obviously, there are, there are going to be some edge cases as far as rules and how does this interact with this and right. that stuff, but that's not graphic design. As far as the graphic design... I think they did a really top-notch mm -hmm. job on this. I would agree. The only piece that I am not the biggest fan of is the art on the cards because it's it goes everywhere from stock photos to art to private photos from the Frixilius family. I mean, I feel like stick with one thing, you know, don't don't mix a whole bunch of stuff. Don't don't mix a whole bunch of mediums together. Either do all stock photos or do all art, but I don't feel like it should have been all mixed together like that. Completely agree. Inconsistent at best is yeah. is the way I have it written down on my notes. Like you said, it's a mix of stuff and it just, there's a lack of continuity in the artwork as a whole. And when you see it, it just feels a bit jarring. Mm -hmm. And 
just inconsistent yes. is a really good way to put it. Um, just not a fan of it. Some of the artwork in there, I really mm -hmm. am a big fan yeah. of. But overall, the whole production quality, as far as the artwork itself, though, as a whole, mixed it best. Yeah, it goes from really cool artwork to, like, clip art. Yeah, not, not really a big fan of that. Nope. Now, as far as the rule book clarity, there are 229 rules questions on BGG. And I got to say, I don't get it. Why? The rule book does a really good job of laying things out and giving really good groundwork for the cards to go off of because all the cards, they follow a certain set of rules and they're laid out well. And like I said earlier, there are edge cases are going to happen when some of the rules are pushed off onto cards like this. But overall, I think it was a fine rule book. I really don't think the 229 questions that are on BGG, it's just, it, it's people being lazy and not actually reading yeah. the rule book and, and, and referencing it. The majority of the stuff, the overwhelming majority of the stuff is in the rule book. So it's just, don't be lazy. Come on. And I'm not saying this from a production or from the publisher standpoint. I'm saying from the, the gamers themselves. Take the time to do your own research instead of cluttering up the rules questions for actual things that aren't answered in the rule book, please. So set up, tear down, learning and stuff. How does that go? I think it's pretty straightforward as far as the setup. Give each player a player board and their player cubes. Divide the money into three dishes or piles or... Do it in six so each side of the board can make their own change and all that stuff. Shuffle the cards, lay out the tiles, separately shuffle and deal out the corporations, and basically you're ready to rock and roll. It's it's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Tear down. Baggies are going to be your friend here. Bag up the player pieces all in one three by four inch baggie. Bag up the resources by color, the bronze, the silver, the gold. Bag up the cards into a few different bags. There's a lot of cards, so it's going to need a couple bags. Finally, bag up the tiles into different groups, the different types of mm -hmm. tiles, and you're all set and you're ready to put it back up. All right, teaching, learning. I think it's pretty straightforward and procedural. I The way I do it is give a brief overview of the game and the in-game conditions and the ballpark scoring range. Run through how a generation or a round works and that production is only at the end of each generation. Go through all the available standard projects and all the available actions. Explaining the difference in the three types of cards. Give examples of all three different types of cards. Cover in-game scoring and basically you're ready to rock and roll at that point. Also, if you're drafting, and we think you should... Explain how that works, which if they're playing this more often than not, people are going to understand how to draft. You go left one way, one generation on odds. You go right on the evens and rock and roll. All right. So let's get into the complexity of the game as far as rules, complexity, mechanical, so on and so forth. All right. Let's start talking about the game itself as far as rules, complexity and kind of mechanical rules overhead and stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it's pretty low here, yeah. but what do you think? There's not a ton of rules in the game, and it can be taught to new players pretty quickly, you know, from my experience watching it being taught. Like I said earlier, some edge cases are going to arise, but those are pretty infrequent. The player aids are great reminders, provided folks, you know, actually use them instead <laughs> of asking questions. Uh, but overall, rules-wise, it's pretty quick teach, it's a pretty quick learn, and... Everything's laid out on the player aids really clearly. So I, I, I think the, 
the complexity of the game's pretty low mm-hmm. in that respect. However, moving into planning now. Yeah, there's a fair bit of planning. There's quite a bit. I mean, once your company card is chosen, that's a good starting off point and a good jumping point. But it's important to make sure that you're generating enough income and resources to keep your card play going because you you have you, you get these cards that you have to pay for. Some of them are so awesome that you just have to hold on to them until you can actually afford to play them. You, so you have to plan for that. Sure. Yeah. I And I think it's a, a fair a fair mix of tactical and strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, you know, you got your initial corporation and that initial draw of 10 cards and it kind of helps give you a guide. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go in this direction. But the card draw and the drafting throughout the game is going to force you to kind of zig and zag towards your strategic goal. If you want to focus on building cities and plants because your initial hand draw and your chosen corporation is kind of guiding you there. Great. However, you're still going to have to deviate here and there when the cards dictate. But ultimately, you can stay on target or, if you want, you can change plans partway through the Mm -hmm. game and try and go a different direction. So there is flexibility as well as that ability to plan the long-term strategy, Mm -hmm. even though there is that very tactical nature of what am I going to draft this round? Yeah, you know, you kind of have to go by the, fly by the seat of your pants at some in some cases as well. But with the same thought that hey, I okay, I know what I'm trying to do. Right. How can I make these cards work into that strategy? Yep. As far as luck and randomness in the game, I mean, come on. There's blind card draws. Those are the biggie. The initial ten card hand. Your corporation, all a blind card draw. Your corporation, although we tend to select from two or three depending on the player count. And then the four cards at the beginning of every generation. Drafting is going to mitigate this at the expense of time. Mm-hmm. Meaning we only play with the drafting, but that also extends the the, the, game, the play length of the game. Markedly, it's it, it definitely adds some time to it. But we're willing to sacrifice that to mitigate some of that randomness. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say is that I I would much rather spend an extra, you know, 30 minutes, whatever, to play the game with drafting instead of not drafting. It just it doesn't seem anywhere near as much fun to me to not draft. That said, the the randomness of the card draw does, I guess, a little bit reduce the weight of the game in a sense mm-hmm. that it I could also make a case, though, that it might add to it in a sense, because now you're having to adjust on the fly and you're having to, okay, I got these, I was dealt these four cards. How do I make lemon lemonade out of lemons? So I could I could make a case for it, but ultimately, because the cards are arguably some better than others here and there, the random card draw, hey, you may end up ultimately, if you have an amazing card draw consistently and I have a poor one, you're probably going to beat me. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, the drafting removes some of that, which adds to the weight of the game in a good way, yeah, I think. absolutely, because you can also hate draft, which is a big, which can be a very big deal. Absolutely, it can be. You can, you take that card that you have absolutely zero interest in and zero chance that you're going to ever use it but you don't want brian to have it or you don't want edward to have it so you take that one to make sure that they don't get it exactly 
So as far as getting it, what do you think? One or two turns. I, yeah, I would say it's not it's not a it's not a big rules overhead game. Right, and and like you said, a couple generations out of the I don't know eight to fifteen generations mm-hmm. that you're going to play over the course of a game, it's a quick game to pick up and understand. However, there is lots of room to explore and to work on different strategies and to get to get good at them. So it's going to take some time as far as to get really good at the game, but that's standard, right? Yeah. So that let's circle back now. So what would you say the game? How would you categorize it as far as weight? I would I would say medium because of the it not being very rules heavy and rules complex and all of the card play. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards medium, uh, a solid medium, Mm -hmm. maybe a hair on the medium heavy side, but squarely medium. Yeah, I think the the medium path is because of the randomness of the card play, but like a little tick towards heavy would be because of all of the possible lemonade you have to make out of lemons and all the planning that you have to have to go into your your entire whole plan for the whole game. Yep, I'd put it on par with something like Great Western Trail, Solarius Mission, Mombasa, that type stuff. Definitely lighter than Pax Renaissance, but heavier than, say, like a Castles of Burgundy. So what are the positives in this game? What are the things you dig about or we dig about the game? I personally love the card play. The different combinations and figuring out how to best plan out your turn after you after you're done drafting and paying for your cards is really really fantastic. I like I like to get those combinations of cards where you have you pay less for an earth tag and you also pay less if it's with titanium. So being able to, you know, play, play like a 30 credit card for 15 is so much fun and be able to make other players jealous around the table. Oh yeah. (laughs) I dig that the game's a slow buildup in the advanced game, which is what everything we're talking about pertains to. It allows players to tailor their resource engine building to what they want. It lets you set the groundwork. So yes, it is a slow Mm -hmm. burn to begin with and then it ramps up as you get going. But it'll, it allows for that asymmetry that I want, but it also gives you a true feeling of building upon what you've built already, which in any engine builder, you have to have to make it feel to, to, to bring you into the game, which is what I want in any of these games that we play. Right. You want to feel like you built what you're doing. You built your system. You built your resource engine. You did. It wasn't given to you. Right. The standard projects, which are the static cost actions available to all players at any time, aren't the most cost-efficient ways of doing things, but having access to them when you desperately need them gives you options, which I think is important here. However, they come with the consequence that they're at a less than ideal cost so that, yes, it's almost like a, oh, I desperately need that extra ocean played. Fine, but you're going to pay. A lot more here than you would through a card play. But it's possible that you weren't able to draft something that you need to be able to do that. So this is a way to work around it, but it does come with a cost. And that cost feels appropriate. It feels like a a valid penalty or consequence for not being able to do it in a more efficient way. However, it's not a punitive penalty. It's just a... Uh, I really mm-hmm. don't want to spend the extra money, but I really have to, so I'm going to, that type thing. Yeah. 
and you know, again, the, the decisions on what card to take during the drafting, whether you want to hate draft, it's just that you have to you have to weigh whether or not it's more important for you to get the card that you want the most, or take that card that would either help your opponents way more, or they, could, they that they could use against you. And I'm not too proud to say that I've hate drafted more than once. Oh yeah, of course. Plus, the drafting adds a second layer of decisions on top of just. I'll draft this card. It's now a, okay, I'll draft this card, but am I drafting it to keep it? Am I drafting it to keep it from someone else, i.e. hate drafting? Or am I drafting it in the hopes that something else will help me with the other cards that I may draft this hand or in subsequent hands? So it requires you to choose, okay, great, I drafted this, but now I have to pay for it if I want to keep Mm -hmm. it. How bad do I want to keep it? Yeah, it's not a card that I can use right now, but maybe three, four turns down the road, I'm going to be able to use this card and I'm building towards that. And that's going to help my plant production because I'm focused on building, you know, plants and and, and planting trees and all that. So I want to be able to hold on to this card. But man, do I want to spend the money to keep this card right now, even though I can't use it for another half hour 40 minutes later into the game and i love extra decisions extra meaningful decisions Mm -hmm. always a good thing on its base level it's a recipe fulfillment game you have to have the right number of resources money titanium steel whatever to build your cards and you have to have the right number of plants to build a greenery you have to have the right number of heat to change the temperature etc I guess I hadn't thought about that. The fact that, yeah, you can make a case that you're you're basically recipe fulfilling some things. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I could. I would have never said that myself, but mm-hmm. I, could, I could at least understand where you're coming from with that. Totally. Yeah. So your initial 10 card hand, you still got to pay for those cards. And they give you the options if you want to set up for the long late game or do you want to jumpstart your engine like, oh, this is only two bucks and I can play this early and get something for it and that's great. Or you can get these really big 30, 35 credit cards that are going to cost a lot of credits or money, whatever. And it gives you it gives you that guide, but it doesn't hold your hand at the same Mm -hmm. time. And I appreciate that. It's also fun to try different strategies because there's not one obvious path to victory. No, they're, I think they're pretty well balanced across mm-hmm. the board. You can go a, a bunch of different directions with this. Yeah, it can be fun to experiment with you know, microbes or animal cards or focus on greeneries or focus on city growth. Or focus on Jovian tags. Mm-hmm. Or, or earth tags. Or, you yep, know, there's, totally. there's tons of different ways to go about the game. Or a little bit of this, a little bit mm-hmm. of that. I've seen everything work. Which, mm-hmm. which is a good sign, right? I would think so. I think so. So speaking of which, the luck in the drawing of the cards can be mitigated. And this is talking about if we're not going to draft. I don't know why you wouldn't, but right. indulge me. It can be mitigated by planning ahead and keeping in your hand of cards, cards that you can play later in future turns, like I had mentioned earlier. I can't play this card right now, but I might be able to play it later And if I... If I have this in my hand and I can play it later and I get a bad draw, at least I have stuff I can do. I'm not out of cards mm-hmm. because I didn't do, I, I, I was piss poor at future planning. Well, that's on you. That's on you, the player. You didn't plan and anticipate getting a bad draw. Yep. Okay, you know what? You should have. 
Had you done that, even though maybe you've gotten a few bad draws or, or less than ideal draws, there are ways to mitigate it. It just required you to plan for those things. So that part of that random draw is within player's control. Even if you get a bad draft, maybe you just didn't get a whole lot of cards that really help you with your engine and the direction you're going. You can still do things as long as you have planned that forward, right. so to speak. I mean, sure, there's some planning involved and with the game, but it's not such an insane amount that you're just brain dead after the game. It's just, it's just fun. Yeah, I, I, I get that. It's not, I'm not exhausted right. when I'm done playing this game, which again, sometimes I want to be, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't. Yeah. So on days I don't, <laughs> this would be a good game to pull out. Right. In that because respect. it's, it's got good decisions and good meaty things that you have to plan and all that kind of stuff, but you're not just go, I want to go to bed after. Totally agree. And on that note, it is fun Mm -hmm. in a sense that you were building an engine from scratch because in the advanced game, all of your resources, minus whatever your starting corporation, whatever corporation you represent starts at, everything starts at zero. So you literally ain't producing jack outside of whatever your terraform rating is. You'll get that amount of cash, that amount of credits, Mm -hmm. income, whatever, Whatever. dollars. So with that said... It's a complete and total blank slate. Mm -hmm. You build this corporation however you want to build it. If you want to go heavy into heat and plants, hey, knock yourself out. Awesome. If you want to just, you know, to hell with the environment and go heavy into mining and machinery and just not worry about, let other people do the terraforming. I mean, you can do that. Or if you want to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you can do it. And it's completely within your own control, within the draft, within the draw and all of that. And the fact that you get to actually see what is it I'm building. You can have in a four player game or five for argument's sake, you could have five different completely just totally different corporations and the directions that those have been built. And I mean, don't we all love asymmetry mm-hmm. in that respect? We all don't want to do the same thing. And this game gives you that freedom to be able to to do your own thing. Yeah, you get that because you're starting from the ground up. Right. If you were assigned things at the beginning, you wouldn't ha- I don't you wouldn't have that same ownership and that same yay, my company did great type of thing, you right. know? Yeah. And even if you're playing poorly, you can still Get some solace, maybe, if that's your thing. And, hey, I built a cool company. Yeah. I was Mars conscious. Can't really be Earth conscious because Not Mars, really. Right, yeah. yeah. And I, I love that it plays so well under all the different player counts we've tried. It wasn't... Because there are some games where, you know, like the three-player game, like Through the Ages, where the three-player game is the, you know, one or two or three is the best player count. With this, with this one, I feel like two to five was... All that is, maybe the five player may have gone a little long, but I feel like it was it was not insufferable. Insufferable is a good way to word it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. This is another game that surprised me at two players in that like a food chain magnate or Arkwright, I really didn't have high expectations of the two player game because let's face it, this game doesn't scale. You still have to peg out the three things to terraform Mars and now you just have less people working towards it. However, 
the lack of downtime in the two-player mm-hmm. game, and it just went bing, bing, yeah. bing, bing, bing. The time flew by. Mm-hmm. I want to say our first play of it, uh, two players took two hours, two hours, 15 minutes or so, and we were completely engrossed, and we thoroughly both enjoyed yep. the game, and it felt just like it did at the other player counts, but without with less downtime. Yeah. So the fact that it did play so well across the entire player count is is fairly rare and, and welcome. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. As far as theme goes, though, I think the theme is just cool and it feels that it's well integrated. It's very much not pasted on. This is one of the rare games in which I actually read the flavor text on the cards. Plus, the concept of actually terraforming Mars its kind of cool, kind of exciting. So on that note, I reached out to Jacob Frixelius, who, the designer, and asked him about his background and how he came about making the game. And here's what he told me. Quote, I have a Ph.D. in organic chemistry and a college teacher's degree for chemistry, biology and general natural science. My PhD research was about artificial photosynthesis, so it's no wonder there's a card for that in the game referencing my own professor in the flavor text. I've also studied some astronomy, and I have a general interest in all natural sciences, including geology. With this background, most of the scientific connections in the game came quite naturally, but I've still made some research primarily by rereading the Red Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson, but also picking up ideas from diverse sources, including the internet, sci-fi writers such as Robert Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke. A few ideas are my own as well. That being said, it's still very much a hobby project, Mars being a lifelong fascination for me. I think that's just cool. Yeah. So when we turned on Sweater Mike, when he first played this game, he's a big Kim Stanley Robinson mm-hmm. fan, and he saw the references yeah. back towards those books from this game, and he was he was almost like giddy yeah, with it. it just <laughs> so how, excited. how much he he really felt. Wow, this really does represent what it is that we would, in theory, have to do to be able to terraform on mm-hmm. Mars. So, I know that theme is very much a secondary thing for us. However, when it's done well, yeah. I think it only it only expands the enjoyment of a game. It's not going to necessarily detract if it's not super great. But this is a game in which it genuinely enhances yeah, the enjoyment of the game. It, if a theme is very well researched and well integrated into the game, it's going to make me like it more. Yeah, and just, I think that was done marvelously it was, well here. It was, very well. So the milestones and the, the race yes. to claim those milestones... So they cost eight bucks and you just have to qualify for them. And it's, there's a little bit of that race game in that there's only three spots and they're five points apiece. Who's going to get them? And a lot of times you get so caught up in building your engine and trying to do all this stuff. It's easy to lose sight of those until someone chooses one. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's like, I forgot those. So then all of a sudden they're gone like that. (laughs) But if you're able to manipulate things just so right it's possible to claim two in one turn and you have a leg up on other players i normally aren't i'm not a big fan of race games in general but where it's a small part of the game but an important part no argument but a small part i like that it incorporates that into the game i i appreciated that 
And on that note, the awards. Same thing. Just because you claimed one and it's your choice of what's going to be final scored doesn't mean you're going to be the one that's scoring it or that you win it or that you even take second. You hope so. Mm -hmm. Sure. If you wait to know which, oh, look, I have all these heat resources. Heat's almost pegged out. I'm not going to be able to spend these. Oh, look at this. It might be too late and somebody has already claimed them. Or if it's not too late, now they're so prohibitively expensive, 20 bucks to be able to claim that third award. Maybe, maybe you can't afford it now. And oh, sorry, you waited for the sure thing and now it's not a sure thing because you can't afford to actually purchase it. The game has really quick turns and really smooth gameplay. It's one to two actions and boom, next Mm -hmm. player up. However... That's dependent on the players. If players are not planning on their turn, and we'll get into that about AP and how much downtime there can be. But again, that's a player issue. That's not a game issue, I feel like. However, the one-two actions, it allows for potential stalling in a good way. I mean, I see that Matt has eight heat sitting on his board, but he hasn't spent it yet to increase the temperature. Hmm. Well, I need the temperature raised up one step so I can play this card. So maybe I don't take both my actions each turn. I'm only taking one and hey, it's your turn. Go ahead. So that I can stall a bit and hope he does that so that it opens up my ability to play this card, which then allows me to do this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But wait, does he see that I'm, why, does he, is he wondering why I'm only taking one action instead of both of my available actions? Is he going to do the same thing and only take one action and be like, huh, he's stalling. Why is he stalling? Is he stalling for me? If he's stalling for me, maybe I stall back. I don't know what he doesn't know what I'm trying to do, but maybe he starts stalling so that he knows that his stalling of my stalling stalls out my plans. (laughs) And I kind of dig that whole metagaming that can go into that just because of the fact that you have the option to take one or two actions around and around and around the table Mm -hmm. it goes. Little things like that. Yeah, it makes it fun, especially near endgame. Yes. The asymmetric corporations really can help kind of give you a path to get you started because while it's not some huge sandboxy thing, it does... It can help narrow your focus, which some players are really going to appreciate the fact that it's not this, okay, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. It, that gives you a guide. But also, it doesn't railroad you onto that path. No. It allows you the flexibility. Like one time I got this great mining corporation, I ended up going into yeah, plants. and you never used it, yeah. <laughs> so it is possible to switch those gears like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the time when you get the company that gives you like 60 credits and also allows you to have to pay three less per titanium. And I I use that to my full capacity yeah, every it, turn. It ended up to where you, like you were getting five or six credits worth for each titanium to where these mm-hmm. massive these massive cards that the rest of us couldn't play, you were like, oh, yeah, yeah here's, here's four credits. Exactly. Yeah, here's two titanium. And everybody's like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I just, I love the variability and the asymmetry that the mm-hmm. game provides there. 
So with the sheer amount of cards and the various paths to victory that we've already talked about, there's a ton of variability and replayability in this game. Yes, after you've played this game a bunch, you're going to recognize, oh, hey, I know there's a few more of these cards. I haven't seen those. Maybe somebody drafted them. Right. I don't know. Because the discards are face down. And so you don't know what people have thrown away and what's in their hand. So I like that little bit of unknown because it fits with this. You don't always know what every corporation is going to be doing. So again, with the theme and with the the scope of the game, that seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. So the last thing here is some folks have asked why bother tracking the generations because there's, there's a cube that you can use to track the generations in the game because the game isn't dictated by playing X number of turns. It just ends when it ends, when the three terraforming things are, are pegged out. Well, there's three reasons, at least in my take. First, remind you, odd or even, which way are you going to be drafting? Are you passing to the left, pass to the right? The second, remind you who's the first player. Because if we know that I started the game and we're on round nine, we know whoever's to my left in a four-player game should be the first player and that, oh, hey, we forgot to pass it. Okay, let's pass the first player marker. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice little thing. And the third thing, For those of us that track our plays, it's nice to see how many generations a game went to be able to, you know, hey, at four players, maybe it it goes in this range Mm -hmm. normally or at this amount of players. And it's just, it's also nice to be able to give new players a ballpark idea of how many generations or how many rounds a game is going to go. So I just thought I would mention that Mm -hmm. as well. All right. So flip side. Things you're not too terribly keen on in the game. You want to start? AP prone players can be hard to play with, especially if they don't plan ahead when it's not their turn. That is the biggest thing. Yeah. Your job playing this game is to stay involved in the game. See what's going on and to plan out your your turn in advance. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, you're being disrespectful to everybody else that's sitting there playing. So don't be that guy or gal. Right. Just... Don't don't be so mm-hmm. so that's a player thing, not a not a game thing. I think, but I agree with you yeah. totally. It, but I I can see both sides of that though because I also am can be prone to AP at times and and well, I mean we all we are, are we at are. times. Yeah, it's just it it can be hard sometimes though to have to plan your entire entire turn when it's not your turn. That can be hard. But at, but least, at least have a ballpark idea of what you're gonna do. exactly. So that can be very draw or luck dependent without drafting. In my opinion, drafting, in our opinion, drafting is the way to play it. Uh, However, it's going to add time to the Mm -hmm. game. How much time? I'll be honest, we didn't didn't time it. But my guess is it's going to add 30 to 45 minutes onto the gameplay. Yeah. But... It's worth it. It makes the game better. So I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And again, it's an official variant that's in the rule book. The production issues and the artwork issues right. that we talked about earlier, don't want to harp on that anymore. Uh, the the player boards and, and being able to bump the, the player boards too easily mm-hmm. or, or drag your sleeve on it or whatever. It can Just, be, yeah. It's frustrating. It can be pretty fiddly, though, with all of the different things you're having to track. Yeah, there's there's six things, six different resources that you're tracking. But again, if that's fiddly, then... Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, I'm just, it's not like it's a game changer. Sure. It's just annoying. 
not a ton of not a ton of player interaction outside of the take that actions and the the placement of tiles on the board there's just there's just not a lot but again it's not bugging me in this game mm-hmm. but i figure i would mention it right i mean any game that has this amount of randomness is challenging mitigated or not i mean if the cards that you need don't come up there isn't an amount of mitigation that's going to magically make the card that you need pop in your hand sure but then again, maybe you should have done a better job of not not needing that one card mm-hmm. or that two cards exactly. and not letting your whole your whole strategy revolve around that. So again, is there randomness? Yes. Is there those blind draws? If you're not drafting, then yes. Or even if you are, I guess, because what if somebody else took the card that you mm-hmm. wanted? Great. Well, learn to make lemonades out of lemon. Mm-hmm. So point counterpoint on yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I would say. The game can run long and sometimes too long, in my opinion. I There have been times to where I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over now, which is not a good sign. So basically, it just overstays its welcome. Some games, not every game, but some games can. And that's partially a product of the draft. But even so, if players are too focused on building their engine and they don't just switch gears to point generation or to focus on terraforming Mars, which is actually the way the game ends, the game can drag and the game can can really feel longer than it should take. And that's a that's a hard thing for me because I feel like the game should prevent players from being able to overextend it. But at the same time, that also falls on the players to, hey, look, we need to focus on actually ending the game at some point. And if you think you're winning, you should be doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know necessarily that that is a player thing or a game thing, but there have been games where I have felt, okay, I'm ready to I'm ready for this to be done now. Right. Last thing that I have is that the take that cards can feel a bit out of place at times. Yeah. Although they are put there as brakes. And by brakes, I mean like pumping the brakes mm-hmm. on players' engines for certain cards or certain paths that may otherwise be overpowered. They're there as a, count, as a foil mm-hmm. to those things. So they're a necessary thing, but they can feel at times, especially early in the game, they can feel a bit arbitrary. Although they're only speed bumps, though. They're not some devastating moves. They're, hey, lose a handful of plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it took you a couple turns to get those plants, but it's just, it's they're speed bumps. Some people might not like them, regardless, even though the take that aspects are optional. You don't have to do those takes Mm -hmm. that things in the game, but they may give other players too easy a path if they're not used. So, but either way, it is an option. And I did find that there are a couple of player generated variants that I thought, you know, that seems to make sense and that could work. One of which is until milestones are actually claimed, which you can't even claim them until I would say at least a third of the way into the game. No take that cards are allowed to be played. So anyway, I came across a couple. And if you guys are interested, we'll link them in the show notes and throw them out there. And we were not endorsing them. I just thought they were cool ideas that if that type of thing's going to bug you. But other than that, I, I think that about sums it up mm-hmm. as far as the negatives. 
Speaking of negatives, comments on the game that I read throughout various places on the internet, the overwhelming majority of the negative comments that I read were all about, hey, these are unbalanced and there's too much randomness because very few people seem to draft or they feel like the draft doesn't fix it. So I didn't go through and get a whole lot of comments on that. There were a couple that I found um, I, that I wanted to at least highlight here. The first, quote, it can be very random with the cards, but it's like the randomness in Race for the Galaxy. Experienced players know how to shift with the cards or make the most of a draft hand that they didn't land you any gems. Again, lemonade out of lemons. My favorite quote that I've ever read regarding this game. I found every corporation is overpowered when someone else is playing them. <laughs> Oddly enough, they seem underpowered when I play them. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I think that pretty well sums it up. Yep. Hi folks, this is Martin Wallace. You're listening to Heavy Cardboard. Terraforming Mars is a very well put together game. It feels well researched and well play tested. Component issues and randomness aside, in all of my seven plays of this game in preparation for this episode, I have enjoyed each one and I'm not tired of it at all. I can wholeheartedly recommend playing Terraforming Mars. You'll enjoy your play. Have fun terraforming. It's just a fun game and the game screams theme. Again, we've harped on this numerous, numerous times. Theme shmeme. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> But it's really well done here, and it really helps bring you into the game. This is a tableau builder done right, and it's a game that, I'll be honest, at eight plays at this point, which I'm a bit of cult of the new, or I get tired of games easily, I'm getting to that point with this game, except until it actually hits the table. Then I'm super excited to play it again. And I hope that that explains the draw of this game that it's it's one of those games to where you you really feel like you're doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing in this game and it draws you in so the theme very much carries the game it's a it's a really enjoyable really fun tableau builder Mm -hmm. that i think is just done really really well so kudos on that All right, Amanda, why don't you tell folks how we go about rating games? All right, we rate on a one to six scale. One being, it's not me, it's you. We have no interest in ever playing this game again. Don't give it away, do not send it to Goodwill, you light that thing on fire. Two is, it's not you, it's me. We simply just don't like the game, there's just not anything that we like about it. Three is, we feel the game is below average. There may be some redeeming feature of it, but eh. Four, we feel the game is above average. Mechanically or in gameplay, there's something good going on and we may wish to own a copy. Five is a terrific, even great game. We really strongly like the game and are likely to own it. Six is a Hall of Fame game. No brainer, drop what you're doing, run out and buy it now. All right, as far as a rating, Amanda, what you got? I have this one as a four. There's there's cool stuff going on in the game. There's a lot of cool stuff going yeah. on in this game, I think. Yeah. But for me, the thing that keeps it at a four for me as well mm-hmm. is on more than one occasion, I've looked at my watch or I've looked on the, uh, on the microwave and been like, what time is it? Which 
as much as I enjoy the theme and as much as I enjoy everything else, there's just, it just overstays just a hair by about 15, 20 minutes. Now, if we take out the drafting, it doesn't overstay, right. but now it induces too much randomness. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a conundrum yeah. right there. So yeah, I also have it as a very solid mm-hmm. four and a game that I'm really happy is in our collection. And that's Terraforming Mars. So Edward, why don't you tell everybody how to contact us? All right, our website, heavycardboard.com. Email, contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from y'all. We love getting emails, and we try to answer all of them. Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. YouTube, Heavy Cardboard Vids. Instagram's Heavy Cardboard. Our Patreon, please support us. Patreon.com forward slash Heavy Cardboard. BGG Guild number 2044. And we also have a phone number for you all to call and leave us voicemails. The phone number is 720-675-8975 is the number. So call us, leave your thoughts or questions, and we might mention it on the show. Big thanks to Stephen and Paul Incal over at Stronghold Games for the review copy of the game. We appreciate it, fellas. All right. Remember to subscribe to the show. Yeah, spread the word to others if you're enjoying it. And, you know, if you've been enjoying the show, considering throwing a buck or two to our Patreon. Yeah, seriously, we would really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. It's going to help us expand the show throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So if you loved our spiel coverage, think about, consider supporting us on Patreon. That's going to help us Mm -hmm. be able to continue to do stuff like that. So it's very much appreciated. Plus, you get little extra perks here and there as far as supporting us on patreon so thanks a lot for those that do Mm -hmm. and consider doing it thanks y'all so we'll catch y'all next week with the next episode keep on playing games guys all right stay warm out there bye bye